Welcome back to another episode of Beyond Basketball, a podcast about the intersection of sports and culture. I'm one of your hosts, Jahan, and with me as always is Rob Smith. Hey, Rob, how's it what's going? What's going on, Jahan? Man, this is this is good. We are getting deeper into the playoffs. Every day we're getting deeper into these playoffs, and I don't know about you, Rob, but uh, this has been some of the most exciting series uh, in a few years now. Like every every series is worth watching. Yeah, they really are. And I obviously we had the the pandemic bubble, all that kind of stuff. But even before that, I don't remember wanting to watch so many playoff series and watch every game. You know, I mean, this is this right. is really good. And I actually I saw something that said uh, it was on ESPN. You know, I for the folks listening, some of us watch ESPN and some of us got sick of it years ago. Like, I don't watch all the, the talk shows, Stephen A. and all that. Yeah, I do dig yeah. Jalen Rose, but, you know. J.J. Reddick's pretty good, too. Yeah, Reddick is good. He's really good. But the, the thing that I saw said something to the effect of, are the playoffs worse off without LeBron? And I think the mm. answer is the playoffs are fine without LeBron. In fact, <laughs> I think it's more interesting without LeBron. No disrespect to Bron, obviously. That's not, that's not intended. But, you know, we, we got Luca Sightings out here. We, we're we missing job. But for, for the moment that he was in there, he's a highlight reel. Um, for sure. What's going on in Phoenix is fun to watch, too. Just there, what's happening with their team. And then, of course, out east, we got Miami. The Sixers, oh, yeah. that's fun. And, and of course, we're going to talk about these Bucks and Celtics. Yeah, that's right. Let's, let's talk Game 5. Uh, that was... I, I think I'm speaking for a lot of Milwaukee fans when I say my heart just a few minutes ago resumed its normal beat. Uh, that was a very stressful few hours, but man, what a game. Yeah, I don't know what folks expect at this point. I mean, this is the way it's going to be. Yeah. You know, and, and we might, you know, the, the playoffs are interesting. It's not uncommon to get an occasional blowout in a, in a playoff series. So I think people overreact too much when that happens. Um, you know, we can go back to any of the historic NBA series, finals, and you get a blowout occasionally. It does happen. Yep. Yeah. But what, we, what we're seeing with these, these Bucks and the Celtics is just some really great defense and, mm-hmm. and, and big shots, good coaching. You know, you're just seeing it all. And so as we get into game six, hopefully that'll be it because we don't want to do this again in Boston. Ah, uh, man, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can take care care of work, but yeah, this is this is uh, this is what it's about for sure. This is yeah, this is like NBA Finals caliber basketball in an East semifinals. Like sure. this is, I hope I hope everyone's tuning in because this is as you said, this is just like clinical basketball, like some of the best defensive playing you'll see. Yeah. Team defense too. That's the you know on ball defense, team defense. Yeah, it's all there, man. And few superstars here and there. Got Jason Tatum, Giannis going at it, mm-hmm. and some incredible role players as well. We have Al Veterans, Horford, who, yeah. yeah, he's looking younger every day. Man. I want to know what Al Horford and Tom Brady eat for breakfast. Yeah, sign me up so for that. Um, I'm almost Al Horford's age, so I don't know. I, I got to step it up. I don't think I could hang uh, in the NBA quite like he does. Yeah, man, he's he's playing so. But you know. We've we've talked about Al a couple of times. Um, obviously, we we keep talking about his his seniority in the league. But you know, man, this, this was a guy who in college had a great college career. He's mm-hmm. always been a consistent pro. 
so we shouldn't be surprised, actually. We, we shouldn't be surprised at all, given his, his lengthy uh, set of accomplishments. His body of work it's true. is, is yeah. impressive. I think the most impressive thing about it is also the fact that he's a big man, because as far as physical decline goes, uh, unfortunately, big men tend to suffer the most uh, as injuries kind of pile up. And you have a few exceptions. You know, Kareem, of course, uh, played for quite a while into his 30s. And, uh, you know, Al's following in those footsteps. Uh, It's rare to see a big man compete as hard as he does in his mid-30s, you know, late 30s, but Al's on that track. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and we also know that whether we call them revolutions in diets or we just go back to eating the way we ate 50, 60 years ago. I don't know which one it is. <laughs> yeah. um, these athletes are getting into uh, plant-based diets. They, those that do it swear by it. You know, you've heard Chris right. Paul say it's the cheat code. You also know that there's such a high degree of precision training you know, right. and the technology that goes into all of whatever these guys have at their uh, disposal. And also, I think we have to take a second and just remember, it is important to rest people. Absolutely. I know fans got all pissed about, you know, load management and all that. And I, and I don't know to what extent Al's experienced any load management. But I think when we add all of that together, you just have players who can last a little longer and perform at a higher level longer. Uh, keeping in mind, 82-game regular season, and, and who knows how many games you play in the playoffs, you know, because right now I'm voting for seven-game series for all of them. So, except, yeah. except, except, except the, this one. the Bucks. Yeah, exactly. the Bucks. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go back to yeah. Boston. Well, yeah, game five was, uh, it was a very close battle. And, you know, you mentioned the defense, and I think that's ultimately what decided the game because, sure. you know, we, we had Drew Holiday. Best two-way, best two-way guard in the league. I'm not even oh, yeah. playing. Best two-way guard. Yeah. 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 Bias aside, like, he's, he's done it multiple times. There's no doubt about it. And, yeah. man, he came up huge in the fourth quarter. He made yeah. a couple of massive stops. And, um, yeah. you know, as we can say for many games, we just couldn't have won it without him. Right, and it's not only the steals. I mean, he'll rip somebody too, but he'll just take the ball. That's right. Yeah. First of all, like that's that's amazing. But he also gets his hands on a lot of balls that you know, you know, deflections. You know, he's he's just a disruptor on defense in so many different ways, and he he makes it look so easy. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, when you watch him actually stick somebody up, like he'll just sort of measure the right time, and then he's got these amazing reflexes where he'll just go. Yeah. And he'll take the ball from one of the best point guards in the league on any given night. And it's like, man, how did he how does he have that level of defensive awareness and, mm-hmm. and then also the the quickness to to react so fast and then make that play? And that, and that's that's just man, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's on another level, uh, for sure. And um he was being interviewed about the playoffs last year after we won the title. He mentioned uh, the Nets series and having to guard Kevin Durant. And he mentioned that Kevin Durant is mentally penetrating on offense. Mm. And I would mm. say, by Drew's own thinking there, I would say Drew is mentally penetrating on defense. Yeah, absolutely. You have to account for him. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, you can see the Celtics, like they're seeing him in the corner of their eyes. They're seeing him in the shadows. Like he's definitely in their heads right now. Yeah. You have to know where he is at all times. You have to pay attention to Drew at all times. On defense. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now, you know, I, here, here's what I didn't like about game five, though. We're, mm-hmm. The Bucks are falling into this. 
pattern of a lot of ISO ball. And I just don't understand right. if that's, we've talked about it. We, you're going to hear us talk about it during the, the episode here, folks. And I wonder if we need to start giving the Celtics defense just a little bit more consideration. Maybe they are just staying at home on shooters and saying, Giannis, if you're going to beat us, beat us. Yeah. You know, because there were a couple times possible. they just back off of him and say, go ahead, shoot the three. And, yeah. And, you know, he can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, you know, to his credit, he had a couple. He had a couple today, sure, but sure, yeah, but yeah, the Celtics him. will give him that anytime. Yeah. You're right, yeah. and it's interesting too because we we mentioned uh, Wes and Pat tend to be shooting pretty well from three this series, mm-hmm. and uh, they're just not getting that many looks. And I think you're right; it's it's not necessarily a matter of Giannis just forcing it. It's just Boston is shutting things down very effectively. Absolutely, yeah. What What's also happening that I think is really interesting is that. The Bucks are not getting as much of a contribution from his role players as it did in the first few games. But yes. it looks like the Celtics are starting to get more players involved. And so if there's a concern, you know, the concern would be that the Celtics today had a number of guys involved. And so that might carry over for them in game six. So for game six, we, we have to shut this down. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Because you can see some of these Celtics players getting a lot of confidence across the board, like one through five, the starters, and then a couple of the role players yeah. who are coming in. Like, man, they're getting really, really confident. For sure. And and to your point, I'm um, just looking at the box score now, and the Celtics bench definitely they played a little stronger than I think we'd be comfortable seeing uh, teams bench play against us. Yeah. Got to keep an eye on Derek White and yeah. uh, and that Peyton yeah. Pritchard guy too. I like him though. <laughs> I like he's tough. He's gritty. Yeah. He's gritty. But, you know, on to game six, uh, back back at home. Hopefully we can just wrap things up, but we'll see, man. This has been, uh, the series has been all over the place. Hopefully we make the right adjustments and close this up. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's get, let's get this situation going with Hav. All right. Yes, folks. Right in the aftermath of game four, which uh, left us, you know, a little more somber than our, our current conversation. <laughs> but yeah, we recorded with our friend Javier right after game four. Um, we'll let him introduce himself, but uh, you're in for quite a treat. We talk a lot about basketball, and of course, we go beyond basketball as well. So guys, uh, my name is Javier Alaniz. I am the uh, Director of Strategic Partnerships for Public Allies National Office. I've been with PA for uh, coming up on eight years now. I was the training manager for about seven of those years. And um, last summer, I officially moved into this role where primarily my my job is to kind of represent public allies um, with other potential national partners, national organizations that are doing great work all over the country. One of which are, are, are one of our newest partners is uh, the NBA Foundation, um, who's really, really doing some dope work and is, uh, yeah, kind of part of the reason that I'm, I'm here today to talk with y'all. That's right. That's right. Can you tell us a little bit, Hav, about what the, the mission of Public Allies is? Because after you do that, I want to give you all a big shout out for the work you did with us over at uh, Curto at Marquette. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we are a mission forward organization. I always lead with that mission and uh, it matters to us in ways that, I, you know, missions always matter, right? Um, in some, in yeah. some ways to, to differing degrees, but in public allies, I feel like it matters the more than any other org I've ever been in. 
Our mission is to create a just and equitable society and the diverse leadership to sustain it. And that's beautiful. That's beautiful. You know, I really want to give you all a huge thank you. You know, when I first started as the director of the Center for Urban Research, Teaching and Outreach, uh, you know, I had the chance to uh, interact with some folks at Public Allies and had met you about a few years earlier as you were starting. And um, I really wanted to inject the energy, the creativity, but the progressive approaches and values that you all bring from, from Public Allies. I wanted to make sure that that was a part of the early foundation of the center. And you all came in, uh, McInerney came in and did a great job and really changed how folks at, at a university would generally go about shaping mission and vision statements and engaging stakeholders. And so, man, props to you all because uh, you really you really sent us on our way. You got us going. So thank you very much. Yeah, man. Uh, I, I appreciate that, Rob. You know, obviously I wasn't involved in, in that specific engagement, um, but I uh, appreciate the shout outs to my, my colleague, uh, Aaron Guest, and, and former colleague, Mac Antigua, um, both of whom are really super dope leaders who I've learned a ton from. And, you know, the, the experience that you talk about of us public allies really engaging with you all as an organization and as a, as a program over there at Marquette, um, you know, that's, I think, the experience that, that a lot of different organizations all over this country have really had with public allies is is that, inf- that yeah. infusion of emerging leaders, of, of youth, right. of idealism, of energy, and of, of kind of a, a discipline to, to um, bring the, the core values, that values-based leadership into all of the work that we do. And yeah. I've been a part of a lot of really, really amazing organizations in my time. Whether that's the, the the Peace Corps, whether that's the the Boys and Girls Clubs, whether it's the the YMCA, whether it's a local org like Neighborhood House here in in Milwaukee, yeah, um, been a part of a lot, yeah, props and 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 a lot of amazing organizations, and really nothing has compared to what I've experienced in Public Allies, and so um, it's it's great to hear that that you know it's always great to hear when that translates for other people too, and and I think that's a fairly common experience for a lot of our partners, so um, that's. Yeah, I can see that. Thanks. But for the folks listening who may know a little bit about public allies, now this is a this is a a basketball podcast, so we want (laughs) to bring in the intersections of basketball and what's happening on the ground, and it's a it's a great opportunity to talk about the work you all do with our emerging leaders, and so we want to get that as a part of our conversation fully. And one way I want to do that is to 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 do what we do with basketball. Mm. You know, we all like to talk top five. Mm. I don't want you to rank them. I just want you to give us five alums of Public Ally. I don't want to get you in trouble, right? Because limiting limiting it to five is already going to cause a problem. So I know I'm putting you on the spot. No doubt. But just for the listeners, give us five. Okay. Who is who's the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar yeah. <laughs> of Public Allies? Uh, I, I love the idea of like of like doing a draft, a Public Allies alum, alumni yeah. draft. Now, now. Yeah, let's get it. Okay, so look, when you talk about public allies alumni, the the conversation uh, has to start and end with our most famous alumni ever of all time, uh, someone you you may have heard of, uh, a, a woman, a leader by the name of Michelle Obama. Mm. <laughs> that name rings a bell. That rings a bell. Yeah, yeah I think I've heard right. that. Name. So, yeah, so a real up and comer. Yeah, <laughs> right. Was yeah. once was once an emerging leader herself. Right before she was a household name, um, was uh, was the first executive director of Public Allies Chicago, and really launched our site down there. 
which has been around now for, uh, I think they're past 25 years and they're close to 30 years, which is public allies uh, in general. We've, we This is our 30th anniversary. So, oh, wow. Yeah. The, this year, yeah thank, you, thank you. Thank you. At the end of this upcoming program year, so starting in September here, and at the end of the year, we'll be doing a celebration. But uh, yeah, um, Michelle started uh, started Public Allies Chicago, and uh, that program has been going strong for uh, close to 30 years. And uh, that's that. All, all conversations about our alumni have to start and end with with Michelle. Obviously, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I never overlapped with Michelle, but we mentioned Mac earlier, and he often tells his story about being interviewed and hired by by Michelle Obama. And, and so, oh, wow. uh, you know, that pedigree in Public Allies goes beyond just the name dropping, right? It means something that a, that a person of that character, that integrity, that leadership was was involved in Public Allies back in the day. And um, and so, I, I'll always start with Michelle. Right. You got to. You got to. That's you got to. Yeah. Now, now bring it okay, local. So folks. yeah. Bring so uh, and this is the challenge. If other if other folks from Public Allies outside of Milwaukee uh, are are gonna listen, they they might have other folks to nominate. But you know, I'm I'm based in Milwaukee. Um, I grew up in Racine, um, and so most of the folks I know are are from Public Allies Milwaukee. But we have a deep deep alumni core in Public Allies Milwaukee. Um, you know, the first two that that jump out to me are two of our state representatives, um, David Bowen and Jonathan Brostoff. Bowen, oh, Bo- yeah. Okay. yeah, Bowen and Brostoff have been holding it down for a while. Um, I, I recently yeah. talked to Jonathan at one of the uh, Public Allies Milwaukee, who is transitioning now to Public Allies Wisconsin because we've added um, Public Allies Racine Kenosha into that. So, so beyond just Milwaukee now, branching out a little bit and, and expanding across the state, starting in Racine and Kenosha. But I think um, Jonathan is is transitioning out of that state leadership role to an alderman role. Um, but those two have been holding it down in the state legister here in, in Wisconsin, representing, um, you know, uh, Milwaukeeans and, and Wisconsinites for um, I'm not uh, at least five years. I don't know exactly how long they've yeah, been, they've been there a minute now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I would say those two next. Um, a number of other elected representatives, I'm, I'm going to say uh, Supreme Moore and Supreme. help me with his last name. Omakunde. Omakunde, thank you. Um, I, you know, I've never met Supreme. I know of him, um, but I've never met him directly. But obviously, a huge leader. Speaking of genealogy in Milwaukee, right? Right, uh, right. Um, pedigree. pedigree. That you know, um, to, <laughs> with Gwen Moore and and their family is, um, you know, I, I think I was going to say royalty, but to say that is a misnomer, right? They're they're, they're um, leaders of the people, and and um, right, don't right. Would, would never put themselves on that on that pedestal to to say anything like that and um super dope leaders and and i i gotta give a shout out to darren madison too who's kind of one of definitely one of those up-and-coming leaders who's running for office uh, right now i'm forgetting the seat i think he i feel like he's actually um running to replace david bowen's seat but i don't know what position david bowen's running for right now yeah. but that's a collection of folks who are in public office or near it I'll also uh, gotta give out a big shout out. Another another one who would be my if I were if this were a draft pick would probably be my number one draft pick uh, of certainly a Milwaukee alum would be uh, Siobhan DeSisson. Mm, yeah, Siobhan DeSisson. Yeah. All right, founder of uh, Love on Black Women board member for um, Lit Leaders Igniting Transformation and longtime Public Allies Milwaukee uh, staff member has recently uh, moved to Ubuntu Research and Evaluation. 
Um, just a super dope leader. And if you're in Milwaukee and you you know anything about the the movement leadership that's been happening in this city for the last decade, half dec- decade or so, uh, Shavanda has been instrumental, um, not just in um, her advocacy and in the tremendous work she's done within Public Allies, but in the in the broader community as well. A fantastic educator, fantastic leader. El Halo. I mean, I could keep going. Um, you know, uh, the, yeah. the, the, the last yes. come on, talk about look, the last two I just said sh- between Shavanda and L. Um, you know, the two of them I feel like are are winning awards left and right, nationally recognized, um, being interviewed on you know international media. You know, uh, the work that L has been doing for um, the trans community in Milwaukee, and you know, it's funny because I say, as I say the trans community, like L and uh, many of our other leaders, it's like. Yes, the work is in some ways for the trans community, but in so many other ways, it's for all of us, right? It's, it's for the broader community to help us deal with the transphobia that exists in, mm-hmm. in all of us, right? In, in the broader society. Mm-hmm. And so it's not as if, you know, this work happens exclusively for one community. It, it is for all of us. And we're all improved by the really tremendous leadership that all of these public allies alumni, most of whom I just mentioned were public allies, Milwaukee alum. But, you know, what's what's super dope about public allies is that we are um, in 24 locations or so across the country. And as you know, all the folks that I just named are off the top of my head. Right. And I think I think that that's just by virtue of me being in the space here in Milwaukee. And if you talk to any staff from any of our other locations, whether that's Public Allies, New York, Public Allies, Los Angeles, you know, New Mexico, uh, Detroit, wherever you you want to pick across the country, you're going to have a a different collection of leaders who are doing really great transformational work in their communities. So. Yeah, man. Thanks for the the opportunity to just just run off the top of my head, you know. But yeah, man. Let me let's just throw one. You need a six man out there. Let's, let's just throw in <laughs> our county exec, David, David Crowley. Uh, how, yeah. Now how'd I leave him yeah. off the list, right? <laughs> hey, that second dream team was pretty good. Too, yeah, you know what I yeah. mean. Yeah. yeah. It's it's exciting that you could pick a whole separate team after after somebody picked five six in a row and 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 have right. that second team of leaders um, be just as good as the first you know yeah I, they they can run with me at the gym you know exactly <laughs> I think also with the importance of Wisconsin on the national stage uh, our our leadership in elected office hasn't always been quite up to the the task until recent years mm. by Tom Barrett. Mm. But it's it's nice to know that there's this roster of uh, up and coming leadership when when we need it more than ever. Dude, got a promotion. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, promotion right out of town. That's the best kind of promotion to give a guy like that. Man. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that too, Jahan. I, I just got to say, um, you know, Public Allies is, as an AmeriCorps program, we're bipartisan. Uh, we don't have like a political affiliation, right? But, but we are values-based oh, leaders right. that are dedicated to social justice. And so Milwaukee is interesting because so many of the folks that I just kind of ran off um, had run for office, right? And that's a that's a, mm-hmm. a a pipeline, a pathway that we have we have been cultivating. But again, it's it's not based on any you know any specific party affiliation or um, any specific ideology other than just values-based leadership. Public allies, what we're generally looking to do with with our emerging leaders and the folks who are kind of coming into the organization and, and um, you know, working with us is, uh, you know, support their leadership development over the course of, of 10 months. And I say 10 months, but really that's just the term of service, right? It's a it's an AmeriCorps program where folks are, are serving with us for 10 months with a in a local nonprofit, right? 
And then every Friday while they work Monday through Thursday at a, a local nonprofit organization, every Friday they come together and do a, a leadership development curriculum together. It's a collaborative learning environment where we as staff aren't necessarily like the experts who are who are there to kind of bestow knowledge. Instead, it's like we're facilitators of learning. And we recognize that all of the folks who are coming in have lived experience, um, have expertise in living in this country and, and dealing with the systemic oppression that so many of us are facing. And all of that expertise is brought to bear together in community and cohorts of um, really anywhere from 10 to, to 30, sometimes upwards of 50 allies. We call our, you know, our core members allies who are, are serving together over those 10 months and really learning about themselves, their own identities um, and learning to be intersectional leaders. And um, in the midst of that, they're also developing skills that can lead them onto their own personal pathways to employment to higher ed or to a continued or second year of national service, either with us or with another fellowship program. So that's kind of the, the big picture of what we do. That's, that's, yeah, that's crucial work too, especially in Milwaukee. You know, I'm sure most of our listeners know, but uh, Milwaukee is one of the most segregated cities in the country and the leadership that is being developed from public allies, as well as, you know, through community networks, mutual aid networks, that kind of knowledge, that kind of expertise, you it's really key what you guys are doing with, with public allies to kind of help cultivate that next group of leaders in Milwaukee. Yeah, man. And I'm, and I'm sure, you know, uh, Rob, you can probably speak on this too, but I, uh, you know, what I always say is so funny in Milwaukee. Um, sometimes we call it small walkie, right? Uh, because, uh, but, it, but it, when it comes to public allies, that's always feels true because, you know, after being around for over 25 years, uh, public allies, Milwaukee, it feels like everywhere I go in the city, where something good is happening, there's a public allies alumni or a current ally involved somehow. Like often, yeah, often there's awesome. an alumni up on the stage, like facilitating the thing or putting the thing together. And they'll men they might mention like public allies and you, and then you'll often hear like shout outs from the current allies who are in the room. Right. And um, I think it's, it's really um, the, all of the leaders who come through public allies, Milwaukee have cultivated this space where now it's just pervasive. Like all over the city, you have leaders in all these, you know, whether you, you talk about the segregation, Jahan, you know, and what's super dope about the public allies spaces, it's, it's just the most intersectional spaces I've ever been in, right? Mm -hmm. where, where you have in Milwaukee, right, you have leaders from um, north side, from black Milwaukee to the south side to, to Latinx Milwaukee, right? And within the all of the different kind of racial and ethnic demographics, we, you know, we have focus on uh, the queer community and have high representation in the LGBTQ plus folks, right, um, amongst the disabled right. community and neurodivergent communities. And it's, it's really this amazing space where all these intersections of oppression and liberation are coming together to learn together and work together and, and, and really learn how to cross all of those boundaries of segregation that all of these systems of oppression that have built into the the fabric of our cities um, have have all like kind of influenced and informed who we are coming up. And public allies to mm -hmm. me really feels like an antidote to that. Well, that's what solidarity is all about. Yeah. We've talked about this on the podcast before, but Rob, Rob and I are transplants. You know, we came to Milwaukee from other places and you yourself are a Wisconsin native, aren't you? Well, you know, uh, technically, no, I was born in Oakland. I was born in the Bay Area. 
my my mom is from Green Bay, and so she moved me back to um, Wisconsin when I was like four. So I grew up just south of Milwaukee in Racine, Wisconsin, which is okay. um, you know a separate county, um, about forty five minutes south of Milwaukee. Most folks who you know from Milwaukee know of Racine. It's it's one of those uh, counties where if you just drive through on the interstate, you think it's a farm you know a farm county, a rural county. But if you if you drive east and get all the way to the lake, you realize that that is not Racine. Um, both Racine and Kenosha are, are urban communities, smaller, but mm-hmm. they're urban, um, you know, Rust Belt, former industrial communities, much like so many um, Great Lakes Rust Belt towns. And I'm, I'm technically from Racine, but born in Oakland. Um, but I've been living in um, Milwaukee and, and, you know, kind of in Racine is kind of in the uh, the orbit of Milwaukee. I've been uh, coming up here since I was in, you know, middle school, high school, and um, used to. I was in uh, the youth jazz ensemble at UWM back when, back in the sophomore, and so every Tuesday I would come up here and play my trumpet and play jazz trumpet. Yeah. So, so I got I got a, I got a deep trumpet history. in my history too. You, you do too. Yeah, I didn't know that, Rob. Trumpet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Play a little bit of trumpet, cornet, obviously yeah. too, flugelhorn, French nice. horn. I played a few of those brass. Oh, nice. Yeah. I was actually a yeah. trumpet major when I went to school at Stevens Point when I first started on scholarship. Oh, okay. All right. What was it like to be a, a Wisconsin sports fan in kind of the darker days <laughs> of Wisconsin before the Packers and Bucks uh, resurgences? That's right. I was so look, I was born in 81. So I was too young and and not aware of baseball at the time when we had Yountain Molitor, right? But I, I was a huge baseball fan back in the day when I when I moved from Oakland. I was a Bash Brothers fan. I know there's a basketball podcast. So I'm going to get there, but I'll just say that hey, we'll, we'll allow it. We'll allow it. <laughs> All right, thank you. Uh, so I'll just say that I think I grew up kind of on the Brewers as a as a as a baseball fan and and always kind of loved that. You know, the, the thing I always said growing up in Racine is there there were so many uh, the folks from Illinois. Uh, I was going to say fibs. I don't know what the <laughs> I don't know what the, the, the rules are here. <laughs> no, the know, fibs, profanity's but... allowed. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but, you know, uh, growing up, it was always, you know, the Cubs were always the lovable losers and the Brewers were just the losers. Right. And so. Um, I think yeah. for for me, um, you know, I always kind of felt a little bit the same about those Bucks teams. Now, don't get me wrong, I was a huge Ray Allen fan. Like when 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 Ray Allen was coming up, like I loved watching him, loved his, his style and and what he meant to the Bucks. And that was that was the first hook for me uh, with the Bucks. But then once he got traded, I, I got jaded. Uh, and and uh, yeah. it, it wasn't, frankly, you know, even in the, the the rest of that era where that team was still competitive, I you know, I had kind of faded off. And it wasn't until Giannis came to Milwaukee uh, in that draft as that young kid that I kind of was like, you know, saw that lottery ticket and was like, you know what, let me jump back in on the Bucks because that's a cool story. And let me find out about this kid. And again, at the time with him, it wasn't just Giannis, but it was also Jabari Parker. And so there were these, right, these two young right. guys that, that were kind of like, man, these guys are dope. Let me let me just start following the Bucks and see what happens. And I, I fell in love with the team, fell in love with Giannis and, and Jabari at the time, too. So, so that's kind of yeah, we got to talk a little bit about Jabari. Let's, let's just make sure we take just a quick, quick second. Yeah. We know the injuries were so unfortunate for him, but man, man, JP was giving us major, major work really early in his career. Yeah. You know, yeah. he was NBA ready. Yeah, he really was. Let's not forget about him. Yeah, and nobody knew at the time that like Giannis was going to be the one who was going to emerge and become the star. I think most people yeah. at the time right. probably would have put their money on Jabari. Of course, yeah. second overall pick. Of course. 
Yeah. Right. And so, you know, and, and despite the in, injuries, you know, he was it's not like that was a bad pick. I mean, he he, right. he played right. well for us before the injury. Right. And, and you know, that that kind of like homegrown build it yourself uh, blue collar mentality that those guys brought was always just the energy that, that vibes right with Milwaukee. Right. And so um, yeah, for sure, uh, it, it's funny because at the time I didn't really even know to be aware of Chris Middleton. I don't know how many people, I don't know about you guys, you tell me, but, but like, were, did you know, like early on, like Chris Middleton was going to become what he became? Here's what I know. In reference to the, the blue collar ethos, my son in 2016 or so had a Chris Middleton lunch pail mm. that, he, that he got from a, a, a bus. <laughs> That's game. it. So if if Chris makes the lunch pail in the blue collar city, somebody must have known something. You know, that's the point. Lunch pail never fails. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, the thing with Chris too is, you know, obviously he turned out to be a special player, but he was kind of a throw-in in a trade. That was the the Brandon trade between uh, Milwaukee and Detroit. Mm. Brandon Jennings, right. Brandon Knight trade, and then Chris was just there. He was a piece of it to make the money work. Right. So that was really lucky. You know, partially luck and partially great great work from the Bucks front office as we've seen multiple times over the last few years. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so that was, you know, that, that was my experience with the Bucks was kind of, and, and I'll be honest, you know, when I was a kid, we never had money. Um, it was just me and my mom growing up. And so we never had cable. And so that was the, another part of it was I just didn't have access to any of the games. And so it, it wasn't really until I got to college that the cable was ported into all the dorm rooms and I was able to actually like start to watch some games. And so then once I was back here after uh, my wife and I served in the Peace Corps um, and once I came back here, I was working at Neighborhood House and then Boys and Girls Club where I finally got to the point where I was like, hey, I live in Milwaukee. Like, let me start following this team. And, you know, they had Giannis and they had Jabari and, you know, eventually started paying attention to Chris Middleton and, um, you know, really watching the team and enjoying how they were growing. Right. That that experience of being like a what, 12 win or 18 win team. Like, I don't know how bad it was, but that experience of, of watching a bad team grow. And even, you know, um, Jason Kidd is finally getting his due a little bit now. But, you know, yeah. I, I think there was a lot of Jason Kidd hate in the later later part of his tenure with the Bucks. But he did a lot for the Bucks organization at the time. And um, and so I really started to fall in love with the the, the Bucks um, at that time, that era. You know, this, this is interesting because um, I grew up in Indianapolis mm-hmm. and, you know, I was aware of the Milwaukee Bucks. I think uh, for a couple of reasons, I was a, a big fan of Dr. J mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, those Bucks teams in the 80s, man, those, those teams were fun to watch, too. Mm. You know, your Sidney Moncrief, right. Paul Presses, Bob Lanier, uh, Bob Lanier mm. Marcus Johnson, yeah. you know. And then, of course, once you get Big Dog and Sam Cassell and Ray, uh, that's another fun era, too. Yeah. And so uh, it's obviously much more fun to win championships. Yeah. But, you know, I was a big Fat Lever fan. Mm. Uh, and so for whatever the struggles might have been, post the big fella and the big mm-hmm. O, you know, the, the Bucks still fielded some really, some really fun teams to watch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was just never my era. Right. So I never got to see those right. teams. And so, right. but you know, it's, that's, that's what's so cool about sports is 
you get to learn the history of, of a team that you that you fall in love with and, and, and really find out the different ways that that team showed up and mattered and represented in the league and the players that came through. Um, really, and I'll be honest, when it was Marcus Johnson uh, coming back to the broadcast booth, which helped me really learn a lot more about that era and, and those teams because, you know, he, he talks about them so much. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Are there any uh, favorite role players you had from the early Giannis days, those scrappy Bucks teams? Ooh, you know, I was, again, I was always a sucker for those lottery picks. So I, I convinced myself that Thon Maker was going to do something and be something and be, oh, be, a, be a running partner with, with Giannis. I'll also say I spent some time in Australia. I did a study abroad and in, in the South Pacific when I was in, in Vanuatu during the Peace Corps. And so kind of always had a connection to Australian players, weirdly. Um, and so the fact that we had Bogut and, um, and even uh, Della Vadova, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, I, yeah. you know, and, and Delhi had that kind of hustle work ethic that you see, you know, some of these guys, uh, uh, Pat Connaughton, um, you know, uh, George Hill, like that kind of hustle, just like grind it out, running, flying all over the place, that kind of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, Thon Maker was probably the one that I was way too high on. <laughs> I thought like he was, yeah. I thought he was going to have the same physical transformation that, that Giannis did, but he, you know, Thin Maker was his kind of uh, ride nickname. And <laughs> I, I think that was more apt, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, if I, if I were to pick a Bucks role player, I'd have to step outside of this era and I have to go to Tim Thomas. Mm. I really enjoyed watching Tim Thomas's game. Silky smooth. Mm. Tim Thomas was a, a multi-dimensional, probably about six, seven, six, eight. He could go two through four. You know, he was a matchup problem. Big East, back in that other Big East, Big East guy. <laughs> right. I remember him. That was the purple jersey era. Yes, it was. Yes, yes it was. Well. Let's talk about the modern era because, you know, we've kind of been dancing around it, but we unfortunately all just saw game four of this Boston-Milwaukee series. And I'm kind of curious, what are you guys' thoughts on the series so far? Now, we've we split game apiece in Boston, and of course, we just split a game apiece back at home. Now we're going 1-1-1 if it goes to seven games. And I'm, I'm wondering, what are you guys' thoughts on this? Oh, uh, yeah. You know, I have a, a very clear understanding of what's going to happen, and that is I have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I, I'm going to just be honest. I'm not even trying to pretend. I appreciate the TNT crew, you know, Shaq, Kenny, Ernie, Chuck. I love their interpretations of it all, but I, I have no idea what's going to happen. What I do know is I'd hate for us to have a game seven in Boston. Mm-hmm. That's just bad news in NBA history and lore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, even if we had Chris Middleton, it felt like this was this was a heavyweight fight. You know, when you get those two big guys in the ring and it's just going to be bloody and it's going to go long and it might be a no decision. If it's a win, it's it's you know, it's a five four decision. Right. It, it feels like one of those games. It's going to go seven games one way or another. Just that level of defense, the, right. the, um, the hustle, the fight the elbows, right, the body shots, like all of that stuff is, to me, in my mind, is great basketball. To watch that that kind of energy and that fight uh, show up in these players and to have them challenged in ways that they've literally haven't been challenged all year, right? Even if you maybe had a tough game here or there, 
you've never faced the same team back to back to back like this and the same that same fight and that energy level and it was interesting watching tonight I, I i expected the bucks to pull it out but you could you know as much as i was for a minute saying it's it's all right horford's gonna get gas he looks gas the bucks look gas oh, too uh, they look gas yeah. too yeah not having middleton definitely hurt him tonight you could see that yeah, Al is right. really balling. You know, if you go back to 2018, 2019 seasons, when you looked at the the future, you knew that that Boston Celtic team was going to be really, really good. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, obviously the, the Bucks with the championship last year kind of jumped over them a little bit. I would have put them ahead of the Bucks in some ways a few years before. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and now the Celtics, you can see them just kind of, Steadily putting it all together. They've had some experience. You have to start talking about Jason Tatum as one of the best players in the mm-hmm. league. Excellent coaching, too. Udoka's oh, really great turned coaching. it around. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, his, his running mate, Brown, he's doing big work. Smart. I, lo- I love the green tint in his hair, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, Al Horford, who you can't say enough about. You know, that's that's the veteran's veteran right there. Yeah. You know? So this Celtics team is not going anywhere. They're going to be a problem. Mm. They are already a problem. You, yeah. you, you mentioned Al Horford. Let's stay there because you said you can't say enough about him. Yeah. But let's say a little bit about him. Let's say some let's more. Say, let's, let's say, say some a little about bit about Al, him. Sure. So first – you know, I feel like he's one of those guys who always kind of gave us problems. You mentioned that 2018 team, right? Um, he, he hits his shots against us. The last couple games, he's stepped up big. And here's the thing. Uh, I'm, I love Giannis. Everybody loves Giannis. He's, he's our MVP. You know, he's the heart of the team. And, and so I don't like to criticize him, but there's, there's a, every now and again, man, he gets a, he, he, something gets under his skin. You remember when he headbutted that dude? What was it from uh, Mo Wagner? And he headbutted that dude. And there was a moment tonight, a couple moments where Giannis was doing some weird things, and and you could just see he was bothered. But at the same time, you take a guy like Al Horford, who's you know he's just not one of those players who's like he's not an asshole. You know you know what I mean? He's he's not one of those players who's who's showing you up. He he's he goes about his business. He plays hard. And the thing is is he just shoots on us. He's always shot on us. Yeah. And so yeah. to me when I saw Giannis do that I was like, "Why are you poking the bear?" Like like you know, you don't need to give him any extra motivation and I just saw Al Horford say, "Oh, okay." Okay, you want to stare me down after that? Okay. And, like, the thing is, is Giannis still torched him a few times on the defensive end, but Horford kept getting back on the other end and making his shots. Yeah. He kept making those shots, and uh, he's just that one of those classy players who, who, who does his job well, and he's a veteran who doesn't get rattled. And um, I don't know what it was tonight, but something about Giannis, I don't know if it was uh, getting rattled, but there was right. – Right. A little weird energy right. going on tonight, and, and I don't know what that's about. Um, but I didn't like it, and it, and I thought as soon as I saw him do that with Al Horford, I was like, "Hey, that's a that's a bad sign, man. We don't want to be we don't want to be giving him any extra motivation." And sure enough, he dropped thirty on us tonight. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you know, this is it is the playoffs, right? Your 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 big dogs are going to try to impose their will physically and mentally, and. This is a mentally tough Boston Celtic team. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, they're scrappy on defense. They they are a remarkable defensive yeah. team. 
as much as Giannis gets what he wants, it's really hard for him to get what he yeah. wants. It's not like they're giving him easy buckets. Yeah. You know, it's contested yeah. all the time. He's not hearing the whistles he's used to hearing either. Yeah. Right. And he's 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 got to play against multiple defenders, so they're throwing multiple people at him, you know. So, yeah, he, he's probably engaged in the game in a way that, as fans, we may not want him to display it, but I like it. I, I think it's, it's necessary. It's okay if he gets a tech or two, you know that that that's he's got he's got to be the bad guy sometimes too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but I'm I'm Team Giannis, so you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, respect his call, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'll say the thing about Giannis that worried me more so tonight than the other three games of the series is that I think this is partially a result of Chris being out as well, of course. But I think I saw a little bit of like 2018, 2019 Giannis. Mm. Mm-hmm. The guy who hadn't quite put it together, the guy who, uh, when he saw a wall, would just try to physically dominate the wall, even though, you know, how, how many times can you run through three guys? And Charles pointed this out at, at halftime. Giannis wasn't really looking for the extra pass. Yeah. He typically trusts his teammates to hit some threes. And, you know, the team was a little cold tonight. I think Giannis was just trying to do too much. And he was putting all of that on himself in a way that wasn't necessarily productive. Yeah. Yeah, and that, and that shouldn't happen with us because our role players, if we can even call them that, they've been right. stepping up the whole time. Yeah, right. And there's plenty of yeah. them. There, there's plenty of options out there. Yep. You know, Pat's had a couple of big games, but uh, he's not taking that many shots. And, you know, Bobby didn't get to play it uh, as much as he usually does tonight. Just kind of a strange game. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, the, when I look at the numbers, uh, a couple things stand out to me. You know, you got Grayson Allen in the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Ostensibly, that's got to be to try to get him in rhythm and get get some threes. But he didn't make one until I think it was the fourth quarter. And he ended right. he ended up right. one for four from three. So you only got four shots off. Perhaps not coincidentally, that's the same number as Giannis took, which, you know, when you speak to the the Giannis of a few years ago, who was, you know, still trying to prove it, you know, that's we saw a lot of that. And I think the, um, you know, Van Gundy mentioned it, but, you know, every time he jacks up a three and over the course of the series, he's up over probably 30 threes now of which he's only made four. Um, you know, that, that's a lot of possessions to just give away. Um, but between yeah. um, between Grayson, Giannis and Drew Holiday, you got 14 three-point attempts and two makes. Like, that's oh, that's not going to work, you know? That's the bottom line. And, you know, we got to speak on Drew for a minute. Um, lo- obviously, love Drew. I think when we look at the championship team, he was the clearly the difference maker. Adding him to Giannis and Chris was the was what allowed us to be this lockdown team in the in the postseason so often. Um, but you know he he did that he did that ISO thing too tonight where he just didn't make the yeah. extra pass. There were so many possessions where four guys were standing around doing nothing. He just brought it up and um, just missed way too many shots to to be to take that many um but only end up with 16 points you got a 23 percent field goal percentage tonight five for 22 five for 22 from drew i mean you know that's we're not gonna win without chris middleton and drew holiday shooting like that so right yeah right well the ball didn't have energy yeah that's it right you know you hear coaches talk about it all the time uh the ball didn't have energy And that, and that really matters. You know, let's go back to game three, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, because game three may have told us now that we've seen game four, we may have learned some things from game three, from game four that will help us. Um, 
first of all, it's always great to listen to the game when Hubie Brown is announcing. <laughs> when he's one of the commentators, man, Hubie, to this day, gives you some of the best basketball analysis in real time as we can get. But now in game from game three, now we see, you know, there was a foul disparity. Oh, um, yeah, to put it lightly. Yeah, to put it lightly. And then also the defense was still really tough. Mm-hmm. And so maybe game three suggests that, again, this is a seven-game series. You know, maybe there's, you know, game four looks the way it looks, but game three, because of the way it was nip and tuck toward the end, is probably more emblematic of what we're going to see for the rest of this series. I don't think there's any more blowouts. You know, this game is interesting because the Celtics did kind of stretch the lead out in the fourth. That yeah. That is a, a problem, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah, I'm, I'm more concerned about that than uh, being without Chris because we didn't necessarily have the same kind of problems in games two and three yeah. or games one and three. Yeah. And so there, there's something that happened there in the fourth quarter that it was an issue for us this game. But I think we're going to see close games all the way through a game, seven-game series. Agreed. Yeah, I think you're right. Something was weird on our switches where we kept being in this position where guys were just getting free passes to the basket. This probably happened four or five, six times tonight where, you know, somebody didn't pick up a switch or like one was very clearly Drew was was in position to block. I think it was or or to at least defend against Tatum. And then right as Tatum is driving to the hoop, he peels away towards somebody on the perimeter and, and Tatum just continues on to the basket, you know, unabated. And um, mm. there, there were some weird lapses like that all night tonight that we, we had, like you said, Rob, we really haven't seen anything like that where they just, where they just like missed their assignments or didn't know what to do. And that happened a bunch tonight. Yeah. 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 And that's yeah. worrisome at this point in the series, because, you know, we saw last year in the playoffs, the Bucks didn't always start series very strongly, but they would close well because they would adjust. It seems like there's almost a regression happening in the series. Well, you know, and I thought we, I thought the Bucks outplayed the Celtics in game three. I thought game three was a defining game other than the free throw disparity. Mm-hmm. And so toughing mm-hmm. that game out, I thought was a, was, was a, a good statement. Uh, yeah. Today, though, I'm not sure about it now, you know. I think we always come back stronger after losses than we do after close games. Might be a silver lining there. Well. Let's get the next two and be done with this. <laughs> bucks, bucks and six. Bucks and six. Please. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I do take some comfort from us being a good road team. But as yeah. you say, Rob, these are all going to be close games. And um, Boston's a great home team and a great road team. So there, there's really no margin for error here. And that's right. tricky well, without Chris. And even when you have a player like Giannis, the the history of the NBA playoffs, as Charles often says, is do the role players step up, they play better at home, all that. But when we think about the really great series, Eastern Western Conference Finals, NBA Finals, it's the role players hitting those big shots. You know, it's the Robert yeah. Lorries. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mario Ellis, mm-hmm. Steve Kerr. You know what I mean? Uh, is these is these other guys who kind of you know? Of course, your Jordans and your you know, the folks that get theirs, but John Paxson, those are the guys that hit those shots down the stretch that that are really critical. And and we've got a whole ton of them who will do that. That's what's rough, I think, to me so far. And this happened a lot even in our championship run last year, right? Like, you know, we got the guys that we have confidence in. I got tons of confidence in Pat Connaughton. 
A lot of confidence in in Bobby Portis knocking from the even Brooke from the outside. Like West Ma- like all these guys are shooters. But you know, when it comes down to it, you look at, you know, that game three, what did we end up with? A twenty-six percent three point? I don't know what it was tonight, but it wasn't great. And um, you know, it just feels like, gosh, one of these games, like like they did in the Bulls series, like one of these games we're gonna get hot, right? Uh, I mean, that's that's the logic in my head. But then, you know, the the response that comes right back is like, well, this is what happens when you face a really tough team. Your shooters are tired. Yeah. They don't get the clean yeah. looks. And, um, yeah. you know, you, you and, and this is true for the Celtics, too. They, they miss a lot of open shots. And I think so often the narrative is about like, well, the guys just got to hit their shots like they're just they had a bad game. And it's like that doesn't give enough credit to all of the ways defense impacts your shots. Right. If you right, if right, you. Right. If you're guarded the whole way, full court press, and you're just hassled and harried for everything, and guys are fighting over screens, then like you finally get a open look and get a chance to shoot, you're just not even ready for that shot. You're like, oh shit, I'm open, right. like yeah. right? And right. so I I think you know it's it's really interesting, and and my expectation keeps being, hey, well, one of these nights we're just gonna get hot from three and just start sinking them. All last year, we never, other than that, you know, opening series against uh, the Heat, where, where where we had playoff Bryn Forbes, we we never really got hot <laughs> from three, and and that's that's you know one of my concerns. If we could do that one night and have Pat Connaughton and Grayson Allen, um, you know, just just go on a tear, you know, we we could get a blowout. But it 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 feels like the Celtics are you know bring that same energy that we do, and so that seems you know pretty difficult to to think that's actually going to happen. Yeah, I agree with you. You know that I don't. I don't think we're going to see spectacular shooting because of the, the fact that the defense is so tough, and we're playing tough defense on the other yeah. end. It's also a matter of usage too, because Giannis and and Drew tonight, for example, they both put up over fifty shots. But you know, we had Wes Matthews and Pat Connaughton. They were six combined for six for ten from three, and just they didn't get enough shots to really make that right. make yeah. a difference with that. Even True. though they were both hot. Right. True. And, you know, maybe the Celtics, because they're good on-ball defenders, maybe they're staying at home more. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think we need to start looking for that. This is this is going. I was hoping this would be an Eastern Conference final yeah. matchup. Yeah. I really I really wanted that to be yeah. the case. Uh, it feels like it is. that caliber of play. It does feel like it. But now that we say that, that, that Heat-Sixers situation is serious, no too. No doubt. You know, yeah. man, Jimmy, Jimmy Buckets gets buckets right. <laughs> yeah. golden golden eagle hey, i was gonna say eagle, if you mention jimmy you gotta you gotta give a shout out to all the marquette players uh, oh we yeah, got jay crowder we right. got west matthews west yeah yes jimmy and and then and then you know i gotta give a quick shout out over to the western conference um you know we're we're talking about milwaukee not necessarily marquette but um gotta gotta shout out golden state for having uh two Ooh. rufus king oh, alone yeah to Rufus King alum on on their yeah. on their you know could be championship team like you know uh, yeah, the, I'm yeah. here for the pool, pool party. party man yeah these guys are balling these guys are balling it's it's good to watch it's really fun to love watch. to see all the Milwaukee representation for sure yeah yeah speaking of Milwaukee the time you've put in with public allies in in Milwaukee uh, I'm just curious what are some of the things you've noticed from doing the work you do in Milwaukee that you haven't really seen elsewhere in the country? Like what are some unique uh, opportunities that Milwaukee offers for the kind of work you do? Hmm, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting, as you say, unique. Um, 
you know, what stands out to me is actually all the ways that that all of the things that I described earlier tonight, you know, the the development of leaders and the dynamics that are true for our city in terms of segregation, that those are replicated in all of the all of the cities all over this country. Now, you know, the demographic mm-hmm. might look a little bit different uh, in in um, Tucson or, you know, in um, in the Bay Area than they do in Milwaukee. But, you know, the the dynamics uh, in terms of leadership and the opportunities that are present for, you know, marginalized and oppressed communities, um, are th- that that dynamic plays out all over this country. And that's because of how pervasive systemic oppression is in this country, whether whether you're looking at institutional racism, whether you're looking at patriarchy, um, heteronormativity and homophobia, ableism. All of these things mm. have, have, again, been woven into the fabric of our society. And so as beautiful and as much props as I give to Public Allies Milwaukee and now Public Allies Wisconsin, um, I always want to give that shout out to all of the other Public Allies sites, too, because of they're all dealing with local dynamics and the, the different ways that things show up differently on the ground in um, you know, Wilmington, Delaware, or in Connecticut, or in New York City. Again, that might look a little different, but you know, ultimately, the the same work that we're doing to try to resist these really oppressive systems that that is a common experience, and uh, a lot of it is internal work. It's learning, um, you know, for ourselves and improving ourselves, understanding our blind spots understanding what our strengths are, what our lane is, what our best contribution is to the results we're trying to achieve. A lot of it is also really just trying to figure out who you work with, understanding that if it's big enough for you to accomplish on your own, then you're thinking too small, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what Public Allies is. We're we're a collaborative space where we recognize that this isn't about, you know, Certainly not a white savior trope, but it's not a it's not a anybody is coming in as a savior. No one person is going to transform this country. Right. It's it, the, right. the systems are too entrenched. There's too many people who support them. And um, for us to create meaningful change in our communities at the local level and writ large, um, you know, it requires an ability to work together across our differences. And I don't mean political difference. I mean, I mean, you know, differences in identity. Right. We, we're not going to be able to accomplish the, the liberation that, that we seek for any one of our communities if we can't understand that all of us are working together to overthrow um, these oppressive systems towards liberation. Yeah. Yeah. Cue the applause track right there. <laughs> I'm snapping. I'm snapping fingers over here right now. You, you know, look, my, my job is to talk about public allies with folks. Okay. So. Uh, obviously, I do that and, and I'm happy to do it. But the reason the reason I'm able to do it and able to do it well is because I believe in it. Um, that's it. it. It works. It matters. And all you have to do is talk to public allies, alumni, hear them speak. You know, the, the mo- most common word that I hear when I talk to public allies, alumni about their experience in our program is is transformative. Right. Mm -hmm. Is that Mm -hmm. is that they came in with certain ideas about themselves or their communities or other communities. Right. And that in in the span of 10 months, serving and working and learning with a group of other leaders who are from their communities. Right. Um, Who who grew up here and, and, you know, the vast majority of whom stay in those communities to work their entire lives to be leaders. 
you know, what you hear is that like, it was transformative. It unlocked something for me, right? It, it allowed me to be my best self, to not just achieve potential, right? But to understand that even a narrative about potential is limiting, right? And to just understand yeah. that, that all of the things that we want for the world and for our communities require us to, to be able to, to have that guiding sense of, of some core values that we can come back to and lean on when we're unsure, when we're struggling and when we're failing. And moreover, to have a community of people who are doing the same thing, right? And who have been through it, who can be your mentors, not just from like a typical direction where we think of mentors, where we have kind of an older generation who's bestowing wisdom on the younger generation. But what's super dope about public allies, right, is that it goes the other way too. I mentioned Shavanda earlier and, you know, one of the things, one of the many things I've learned from watching how she moves and listening to her is um, I've, I've heard her say like, look, if, if you don't have a youth mentor, meaning if you don't have young people who will tell you how you're doing it wrong, then you're in danger of becoming obsolete and you're going to be the the outdated uh, leaders who don't understand what's happening in our communities just just as soon as you thought you were in charge. Yeah. So that's the power of public allies to me is is all of these different perspectives supporting each other in in accomplishing meaningful results towards justice and equity in our communities. Uh, to that point, I was wondering, could you tell us a little bit more about the partnership between public allies and the NBA? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's hear about this. Yeah, I'd love to. Love to. Um, you know, it's it, it's super dope for us and public allies to be partnering with the NBA Foundation. Um, but also just from a, from a Milwaukee perspective, obviously, this is a Milwaukee podcast, Milwaukee Bucks, because, you know, as the NBA Foundation really describes it, it, it was really the Bucks activism, right, in the in the movement for Black Lives in 2020 after George Floyd's murder, where um, the Bucks just stopped playing, right? They said, nope. Oh yeah, after that Jacob Blake yeah. shooting. And, oh, oh, thank you. That was after Jacob Blake, right? So you have you have George Floyd, and then you have Jacob Blake. And the direct action, as you said, Jahan, is after Jacob Blake, where they, you know, essentially, what do they call that? A wildcat strike. Yeah, that's right. Where, yeah, yeah. Where, much. where they yeah. just didn't. They just said, "No, we're not coming out for the game," right? And yep. the the ways in which those two movements were influencing NBA players, but then the ways that the Bucks and, and, and props to George Hill, because he was one of the leaders on the team at the time, who said, this is what we're going to do. That's right. And, you know, when, when they refused to, to come out during the bubble, that put pressure on the league in ways that um, to essentially uh, let the owners know, let all of the, the um, executives and the, the team representatives know that whatever they were doing was was not enough in the players' eyes. And so, um, you know, the NBA responded. They formed the NBA Foundation in the in the wake of that. And, you know, the, the folks over at the NBA Foundation, they've been around. So now I guess it's been about three years or so. I don't know the exact timeline. Um, but when when they were launched and Greg Taylor, who's the, the head of the NBA Foundation right now, um, is really, really great leader. Um, it's super dope to be coming in to uh, as a, a partner of the NBA Foundation in their um, this is their fifth uh, grant cycle here. 
their fifth round of grant recipients that they're providing um, because, you know, they've learned some lessons already. And so one of the things that they're doing, in addition to providing some funding for our racial equity campaign at Public Allies, is they're bringing all of these grantees together. So we've had a couple learning sessions already with the other 40 grantees around the country. National organizations like ours, there's there's not a ton of national organizations. Most of them are local, but you have organizations in in the Bay Area, in in Boston, in Brooklyn, in Chicago, in uh, Detroit, in Los Angeles, in Miami, here in Milwaukee. Operation Dream, uh, Running Rebels was uh, was funded a few grant cycles ago, and all of whom were being invited to be in community with, to support each other, and to to really um, you know learn from each other about how we're supporting our communities to um, create opportunity for Black folks in our communities. And you asked the question, Jahan, earlier, what's unique to Milwaukee? And, you know, I I think maybe it's just the way my brain works, but I I, I think about what we have in common uh, across these different locations and how we can Mm -hmm. learn from each other and what we've tested. And and certainly there are unique things, right? If you go to if you go to Minnesota and and go to the Twin Cities, you, you talk about the East African population that's there you know, what it means to support black people in the Twin Cities might look a little bit different than what it looks like in Milwaukee, where, you know, our immigrant populations are not as big as the Twin Cities. But if you go to Detroit and you and you look at the the Arab community that's there, you know, the, the commonalities and the differences are what we learn from in working together. And so it's it's been really dope to be a, a part of, um, you know, this latest grant round and to and, you know, the hope is to be long term partners with the NBA, not just recipients of funding, but you know, to think about what it might mean to bring some of the values of public allies and the work that we do into the spaces uh, that the NBA operates in, right? You have all of these Black leaders, Black men, a specific, you know, we're talking about the NBA, not the WNBA, but would love to partner. Back to the WNBA. Yeah, no doubt. Mm -hmm. The women leaders. For sure, for sure. And, um, and I would, I just want to say quick, you know, we would love to partner with the WNBA too. I think that's, that's frankly fits right in line with what public allies do. And, you know, the vast majority of our allies and, and our, our leaders, our staff leadership are women. But when we, when we talk about the NBA and look at the opportunities that exist, you have all of these young black men, not exclusively, right? And the ways in which they really now more than ever, given the ways that the path to the NBA has changed are, are really spending maybe a year or two in college, if not going straight from high school into the NBA. And so to suddenly go from being, you know, a, a, a youth, a, a, a young person to go from that youth to adult transition so quickly where you suddenly have a platform and a responsibility to represent an entire organization. That's a lot of pressure to put on somebody. And the, the, the pressures that we know exist uh, amongst, you know, especially for us as men, right? Um, and, and I'll speak for myself as, as you know, uh, cishet men of color, you know, the ways in which, for ex- just as an example, the ways in which misogyny, um, the ways in which uh, patriarchy and homophobia are essentially our communities and, and the environment that we live in often require us to perform that for our own safety, right? Right. That's what we know about these systems of oppression is that the the way that they operate is they recruit people to participate in them because if you participate in them, you're able to avoid being a target. Well, and there's material benefit as well. Yeah, elaborate on that, Rob. Well, in buying into these systems, then there's 
other opportunities that might emerge from, in air quotes, networking. Right. Or you you might receive a particular kind of mentoring that other folks don't receive. Right. You might get a nod to get a particular kind of professional development that others might not get. Totally. You don't face the same kinds of microaggressions. Totally. That yeah, that that's that old the old boys network, right? And even if it's not the right. old boys network, right? As as men, we know the ways in which um, you know I, we we talked about this sometimes almost as like you know the ways in which misogyny shows up as and, and toxic masculinity shows up uh, almost as a as a fraternity, right? As like a currency where it's like. If yeah, you if, if you participate yeah. in it, right, you're gonna get that's that material benefit. You're gonna get something back, right? Um, so yeah. yeah, that's a great point. You know, the reason I brought all that up is just to say that you have all of these players in the NBA who are um, who are entering as teenagers, many of them, right? Who suddenly have this platform, and the 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 size, the magnitude, the reach of their platform is so much bigger than anyone can really realize. Yeah. When, when yeah. I served in the Peace Corps in, in Vanuatu, we just don't realize the extent to which, especially for a nation uh, in Melanesia, right, which is which is a, a black nation, right, black folks in the mm-hmm. South Pacific, mm-hmm. the ways in which black culture is pervasive and spreads all over the world, and and yeah. so it really matters if you know if a Kevin Durant ends up going in on somebody with some transphobic comments, right? It it really matters in the in the inverse if a if a Dwayne Wade has a trans daughter and is visible in his love and support, which should be common, which should be of course like standard for all of your right. for your children, regardless of, of their gender expression or their sexuality, but isn't, right? Again, because of all of those things we talked about. And so the the disparities in how that impacts in a really material way our communities and the ways in which a single tweet or a single statement from an NBA superstar can be adopted and be replicated in, you know, in at, at neighborhood house, right? At COA, at the boys and girls clubs all over the, the city of Milwaukee in the north side and the south side, right? At an AAU tournament. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All of that shows up and you see it replicated at a really young age. And so, you know, yeah. what one of my kind of dreams about this partnership with the NBA is, is what might it look like, um, you know, long term for um, public allies and our kind of values based leadership program to actually be engaged with NBA players as they're coming into the league. Right. Yeah. Because I imagine what it would look like to have a whole bunch of those players who are prepared to operate in the 21st century with the platform that they have with um, these tools at their disposal to understand the power and the privilege that exists from um, the money that they're suddenly getting and the platform that they're getting and they're able to use it towards justice and equity. Now, where did Dwayne Wade go to school again? <laughs> that's another one. That's another Marquette Golden Eagle. Oh, oh Golden Eagle. Yeah, that's, Golden Eagle. yeah that's right. That's, that's right. right. That's right. That's, that's right. Yeah. yeah, love all those Milwaukee connections. Well, Javier, it sounds like a lot of interesting things are happening with public allies right now, both in Wisconsin and around the country. For those of us who are listening to this podcast, what can we do to help out in some way, shape, yeah, or form? Yeah, thanks, uh, Jihan. I, I think, you know, number one is, I hope it doesn't sound cliche, but, you know, uh, follow us on all of our social media accounts and share our posts. We do a lot of really uh, great public education that shares about the work that we're doing, a lot of highlighting of our allies and 
uh, our alumni and the great work that they're doing. And, you know, we, we also share all of our opportunities. Every single year, Public Allies is recruiting, you know, something around 600 to 700 emerging leaders from each of our 24 communities. And we're always looking for, for new folks to um, join in our upcoming cohort. Um, the one this year is coming up just around the corner at the end of the summer, um, starting in September and, and October. Um, and so everywhere we're at, we could we can always uh, appreciate the boosts and the engagement on social media that help us spread the word about the good work that we're doing. I'll also lift up that uh, Public Allies Milwaukee is transitioning into um, Public Allies Wisconsin, adding um, Public Allies Racine and Kenosha into Public Allies Milwaukee. So it's uh, really expanding. And the hope is at some point to get over to Madison and, you know, see beyond into the rest of the state after that. And there is every year they do um, a fundraiser that's coming up here in June. So yeah, the save the date for um, Public Allies Wisconsin uh, annual event is next month, about a month from now, June 16th, 2022 at the Ivy House. It's a fundraiser. And if you're interested in getting involved in supporting Public Allies Wisconsin, definitely find uh, that event on Facebook and contribute to uh, that fundraiser. Public Allies more broadly, again, for our 30th anniversary, we are in the midst of a 75 million racial equity fundraising campaign. Um, have a lot of supporters. We mentioned the NBA already, quite a few others, um, and all of that funding helps to bolster our efforts towards a just and equitable society and the diverse leadership to sustain it, really uh, intending to build up our infrastructure and uh, solidify all of our programs and support all of our programs as we really uh, emerge from, you know, this this pandemic era into the, the next phase of the 21st century. And the thing is, is we don't want to just sit back and, you know, watch that happen. Um, we are actively uh, developing the leaders who are going to um, hopefully lead us through the next big crisis we know, which is the climate crisis and all of the challenges that are coming, right? And um, the, these these leaders, uh, you can you can take my word for it, or like I said, you can come find us on all the socials and and learn about them yourselves and see that the reasons that that I'm super high on public allies, the reason Rob and and you know you know them and and give us props and and the reason so many other folks are are up on public allies, um, it's apparent. Um, once you learn about our people and once you're in our spaces. So definitely, uh, whether that's a monthly donation or a one-time donation or a follow and a share, all of that is appreciated. Well, folks, you know what to do. Give them that like, follow, subscribe, uh, or your dollars. Either way, give public allies the support they need to take us through this uh, interesting phase the country is going through sure. right now. Sure. Putting it mildly. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just try to keep it light, but yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, Hav, it's good to talk to you, brother. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. That was quite a conversation. Thanks again for uh, joining us, Javier, and uh, hopefully you all look into Public Allies. Great organization. Really great organization, folks. Yeah. Yeah. And if you go to publicallies.org, can learn more about what they're doing you can see if you can get involved in your own community or if you want to donate to uh, their efforts in communities around the country take a look at publicallies.org and before we close out tonight we want to honor a bucks legend nba legend and um, we just got the news that bob lanier 
passed away yeah. at the age of 73. He was a, you know, we talked about him in our first episode. We did, yeah. First overall pick. He's a, he's in the Hall of Fame um, in an era of amazing centers like Gilmore, Malone, right, right. Kareem. Absolutely. Willis Reed. You know, yeah. Bob, Bob was right up there with them, if not, you know, at the top of the pile uh, yeah. any given night. You know, John, I'm glad that you ran those names down because a lot of times, folks, when we say Hall of Famer, we don't always know how significant that uh, inclusion in that community, that fraternity, what that really means. And, and as right. a kid, I, I watched a lot of Bob Lanier. You know what I mean? I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, he was a household name right along all these other legends. And this was at a time where the NBA didn't nearly have the kind of um, attention and acclaim and global recognition that it has now. And right. Bob Lanier was one of those statesmen of the game. And to the Lanier family, Brother Pastor Walt, our, our deepest sympathies, condolences, and all the love go out to you because we understand how important that loss was and is and will continue to be. But we also want to thank you, Bob, for giving us so much of yourself and giving so much of yourself to the game of basketball. Uh, to the Lanier family, we, we hold you close to our hearts. Well, folks, thanks again for listening. If you have any questions, thoughts, comments, let us know. We're on Twitter at BBPodMKE. That's Beyond Basketball Podcast Milwaukee, BBPodMKE. Uh, and if it's longer than 280 characters, you can email us at beyondbasketballpod at gmail.com. Yeah, and let me shout out my man Ronald E. Johnson providing the music for us right on Ron. we appreciate you brother you can check him out on soundcloud at choco geek that's right choco geek soundcloud that's my man ron johnson laying down the tracks for us yeah thank you ron the good ron johnson as i like to call him right and, uh, <laughs> yeah check him out on soundcloud uh, soundcloud.com slash choco geek you can find the tracks you heard in this episode and more there and um yeah we'll see you all next time Let's go Bucks. Go Bucks. <laughs>